Sainz, the lead pastor here at the harbor, and I'm delighted to be back. And let me just say out the gate, I'm so proud of Henry and Jennifer Brown for uh, leading this mission team. And for the entire team that went, Adam and Chelsea and uh, Josh, even though forced to go, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, some of y'all know last Sunday about five o'clock, they called the family in, my mother-in-law. So Kelly and I found out at that time that we would not be able to make the trip. My mother-in-law passed last Monday uh, around one o'clock shortly after. So we ended up going to Columbus and uh, of course, staying that week and preaching that funeral in Dothan, West uh, side of Georgia, just in Alabama, where so much devastation has happened. But uh, the wonderful takeaway of this, number one, you guys built that house. Your dollars built that house. And let me say this, you see the rough dry end, it's also paid for that they'll come back and stucco that, or they'll tile the floors, they'll paint the inside, put the doors and the windows. You've bought all that, and it'll be another month or two before that's completed, but that will be done. But our mission was accomplished. We ought to give the Lord praise for it. Amen. The second great takeaway, not only did you build that house, everyone who prayed and gave to the, to the Guatemala mission, but I think the greatest win for leadership is that the leader and his wife was kind of taken out at the last second, and it did not stop the mission one iota. They pressed right on with 10 people and done just as good a job or better than if I'd have been there myself, and that is true leadership. So I'm excited about that. I'm so thankful for it. And um, you have made a difference, not just here, but literally around the world. And everybody whose lives are touched and changed by the pastors that, that have these four homes that we've built over the last four and a half years, <clears throat> every life, you've got a part in that. Every soul, we have a part in that. So thank you for giving to Guatemala the mission trip. Um, and let me say thank you <clears throat> in advance for giving to uh, Hurricane Michael victims. Uh, I've talked to our state overseer the day it happened. He was en route to that area. I said, if you will get me some pictures the best you can, and they can't even get into all the areas. As a matter of fact, I've been to Tyndall Air Force Base, a beautiful Air Force Base, and I saw footage of jets turned upside down. I saw uh, footage of hangar buildings where the roof was literally torn off. And we're not talking about stick-built little bitty wood. Uh, we're talking about steel, some heavy-duty stuff, slabs where there used to be a hangar or a house, just, just a slab now. It's gone. And so um, anyway, I pledge that everything we receive beyond our regular tithe, and all, our tithe everything else we'll send um, to South Georgia, and that will be in a fund that's going to go to rebuild churches there. I've, I also talked with another wonderful pastor friend of mine, pastors of a large church in North Georgia. said, Mike, if you find of any church that we can help, you let me know and we're going to do it. We've also got some people coming to this area, I understand, that has been affected over there, and we want to do everything we can to welcome them and to be a blessing to them as well. Well, let me dive right in and say a special thank you to Brother Richard. I don't know if he's in this service or be in the next for preaching the message. I listened to the message on my way home. I was at Family Worship Center last week in, in um, Cairo, Georgia, and I heard Pastor Johnny preach, and then I got on the road and I listened to the live um, of Brother Richard preaching that message on temptation. 
And I so wanted to kick our life group off here on Wednesday night, and in hindsight, probably should have. The problem is, is we just did not know, and they were predicting about 30 mile an hour winds right during service time, and we just felt it safer, as did everybody, and we just went ahead and done what we had to do and call it off. So now what we're going to do as a life group, we will tack that, that temptation message we're going to tack it onto the back end, so don't study that for this week. Um, you know, this coming Wednesday night, we'll be dealing with the subject that I'm going to deal with today, entitled Embracing Failure. Now, I want y'all to know that I had already named that message before the Georgia Bulldogs lost last night. I just need you to know that. I love the Bulldogs. Y'all need to know that, too. They're my number two favorite team. Anyway. That's kind of a sore subject this morning, so we're going to move right on. But I want to talk about embracing failure. And what you need to know before you know anything else, or if you don't get anything else, is this. At some point, every one of us is going to fail. If I could put it in football terms, even Alabama, the great, at some point, and we hope it's in two weeks, but, but at some point, at some point, somebody is going to beat them. I know that's difficult. I know that's tough to, to grasp. But what I'm saying is this. Failure comes to roost on everybody's doorstep at some point. Failure comes to every one of us. And I know you've met that person who is so cocky. They are so arrogant. They are so full of themselves that they feel like they could never fall. You watch out because it won't be long. Failure is the only way that we really and truly learn anything. The New York Times bestselling author, John C. Maxwell, and great mentor and friend of mine that I, I read after, I don't know him personally, nor do I golf with him or anything like that. But he wrote a book a number of years ago that I latched onto entitled Failing Forward. And his tag was, this is the difference between average people and achieving people is their perception and their response to failure. The difference, he says, between average people and great achievers is their perspective and their response to failure. How do you perceive failure and how do you respond to it? Some people just go into their shell, close the door, so to speak, and never, uh, I'm never going to get on the horse again because I got knocked off. I'm never going to try to swim again because I swallowed some water. I'm never going to, uh, you know, attempt another test because I failed miserably. That's the only way you fail is to close the door and say, I will not try again. Then you indeed, my friend, have truly failed. Now see, John Maxwell also wrote a, another book, and it's more contemporary than Failing Forward, but he said, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Huh? Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. You, you see, I have myself failed times, and well, more times, but did you know real achievers have failed uh, more than, um, than others? You know why they have found out what won't work? I'll never forget I had this wonderful, wonderful car. It was a 1973 Chevrolet Vega with a four-speed. <laughs> Y'all with me? 
And, and I'll never forget that uh, the clutch went bad. And you mechanics can appreciate this. Some of the rest of y'all probably think a clutch is just that pedal in the floor, but it's not. But anyway, uh, it's a long process. It's a lot of work to take the clutch out. You, know, you get to take the drive shaft out and the transmission out and the, all of this, these parts, you know, the pressure plate, and you get to the clutch. And all. So it's a lot of work. It's, a, it's a really a lot of work in those years, 30 years ago, when you didn't have so much the tools. And, you know, you know as a kid in high school, you ain't got but about 12 sockets in your set here, you know. So anyway, all morning long, you know, I, I tore that thing out. And you get all the way to the back of the motor, which is the flywheel right there. And the clutch is that disc between the flywheel and the pressure plate. Now, here's what I did not know. that the, the uh, Because I was changing over from an automatic to a straight shift, and so I had to change the flywheel. What I did not know was that engine was externally balanced by the flywheel. You understand, if you've ever drove down a road with a tire that's severely out of balance, you understand, you know, it's just horrible. So anyway, I, everything looked right. Everything seemed good. So I put the clutch in. I put the pressure plate in. I put the throw out bearing, all those things. I just put it all, all back together. I was so happy and so proud of myself because I got the clutch lined up and everything went back together. It was a snap. And I said, praise the Lord, let me drive this thing. So I put it in reverse and I got out on 2nd Avenue and 1st Second Avenue in Columbus, Georgia. I put it in first gear. I took off and everything seemed great. About the time I hit second gear, I thought the dash would go through the windshield. I mean, it was a huck of buck like you would not believe. I mean, I'm like, man, what? how in the world? You know, I, I can't understand that. So I put it in neutral, rev it up. Everything's good. It ain't the motor. I'm like, what in the world? I tried again. And sure enough, man, I realized I didn't know what I had done, but I had sure failed. I got to work the next day and this older guy said, oh, I know what you did. He said, you didn't look at that flywheel when you put it back on, did you? Or when you put the new one on. You didn't, you didn't look at it because there's a dial pin there. There's a ding mark on that that has to be lined up with the mark on the back of the block. And if you don't line that up, I don't care if it's just one bolt hole off. That thing will run like a two-horse wagon all your life. I said, do you mean tell me I got to take it all apart again? I mean all the way, every single thing, everything. That's what I mean. So my mother used to say, if you don't have time to do it right, you must have time to do it over. <laughs> you know, I used to try to mop my room real quick and oh, that didn't work, man. If you ain't got time to do it right, you must have time to do it over. So, so let me just say, see, most people are not prepared to deal with failure. They're scared of failure. They misunderstand failure, but failure could be your friend. You need to look at failure as a teacher of sorts, and um, it, it is a wealth of knowledge. So in life, the question is not if you're going to have problems. Let me go ahead and tell you, you're going to have them. Hello? You're going to have problems, and sometimes you're going to win, sometimes you're going to learn. Nelson Searcy says, failure is necessary for all of our achievements to be recognized. You see, I know that we don't like to think a lot about failure because it brings back some bad words. We think about things like inadequacy. I didn't measure up. I wasn't the mechanic I thought I was. Inferiority. I'm not as good as they are. Disappointment. I'm just so let down. And we compare ourselves to everybody else and we compare our family to their family. And let me say, sometimes we get our 20-somethings and they're looking at families that are 40-somethings and they feel like they, they don't measure up and they're never going to be nothing. And you don't realize this family of 40-something has failed a lot of times. And they're trying to tell you to miss some of the foolish things they went through, and you headstrong. 
I don't do it on my own. Well, there is the school of hard knocks. But you, don't, you, you, you need to learn from everybody else's mistakes as well because you ain't live long enough to make all of them. So it's important to know that at some point failure comes to all of us. It's important to know because we could think mistakenly that it'll never happen to me. We could think that there's no way in the world I could ever fail. You know, you know, not me. You see, it's important to know, lest we think it could not happen. I want to go ahead and tell you, it's only a matter of time and everybody falls. That uh, I'm not saying everybody backslides. I'm saying everybody has failure to come their way. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction. So, So if you're blowing your own horn and you feel like you're really, really strong, be careful. I want to give you an example this morning, if I may, and it comes out of Luke chapter 22, and it is an example of Jesus Christ prophesying to a guy and telling him, I'm praying for you, but you're still going to fall. Boy, that's messed up, ain't it? Jesus says to Simon Peter, uh, he says, Simon, Simon. Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Watch this. But we know he's going to fail. And then Jesus said, and when you are converted, in other words, when you repent and get all right again, go strengthen your brother. Let me show you this story in Luke chapter 22. He said, and I just mentioned that to you. And, but, but in verse 33, Peter said, Lord, I'm willing to go to prison with you. I'm willing to even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow night, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. See, Peter was that guy, that one that it can't be me. Jesus was sitting at the Last Supper, and he made a statement. He said, one of you will betray me. They begin to ask themselves, who, who could do such a thing? Is it I? And Jesus, you know, Peter was very boisterous to start with. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. It might be that guy. It might be him. It might be him, but it ain't going to be me. Peter was very, very arrogant in his assumptions and very bold and forward. You see, and in Luke uh, 22 and 54, the Bible says that let me just tell you what Jesus was basically saying. Jesus was saying to him, I know you think you're strong. I know you think you'll never fail me, but in just a few short hours, you'll do it three times. Not one time, not not two times, but three times. You see, you never know when it's going to happen, but failure is coming to all of us at some point. And the difference is this. It can be something that just is a dead end for you, or it could be a stepping stone for you. For some people, it's a dead end. They'll never try again. I'm never going to climb again. I'm never going to fish again. I'm never going to write again. I'm never going to speak again. I'm never going to build again. I'm never going to. And the devil is just laughing himself to sleep. Because he knows you have ultimately failed when you refuse to try again. Failure is not falling down. Failure is staying down. You see. So, so Peter says in verse 54 of Luke 22. What's this? Excuse me. So they arrested Jesus and they led him to the high priest and Peter followed at a distance and the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. 
Peter joined them there, and a servant girl noticed him in the firelight, and she began staring at him. And finally she said, this man was one of his followers. But Peter denied it. See, it's never even crossed his mind. He said, woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I am not, Peter retorted. Verse 59, but an hour or so later, someone else insisted this must be one of them because he is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Now, other scholars say that at this point he cursed and swore. Someone said, well, why would he curse and swear? It's sort of trying to identify himself with the mob, with the crowd, trying to, you you know how when you're teenagers and we all probably did it, you said a few foul words just sort of spice things up. Some of y'all still doing it. Y'all with me? Yeah, I mean, he just threw in a couple, you know, I don't know him. You put whatever in front of that, but that's what he did. He wanted to identify with the crowd and he was saying for the third and the final time, I don't know him. It was the denial of Christ that Jesus had told him about just hours earlier. And suddenly the words of the Lord flashed into his mind and then the rooster crows. And Jesus turned from where he was there in front of the high priest and turned and looked outside that door at the very moment. That was the last time that Peter would see Jesus alive before the resurrection. That's the last time. And he saw him that way and he was failing him. And after this miserable failure, Peter decided, I, you know, I'm done with this, man, this ministry thing. I'm through with it. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I know how to fish and I'm going fishing. Matter of fact, some of the others said, I'm going to go with you. You remember when Peter was converted or when he was first called, he, you know, got Andrew and they got Philip and they got on and on. And at this point, Peter is still a leader, even though he's doing bad things. And he's kind of like, you know what? The gig is up. It was a good three years or so, but he's gone now. I'm a miserable failure. The Bible said he went out and he wept bitterly. Hey, I'll tell you, it's different than what Judas did. Judas betrayed him. He went out and killed himself. Peter wept bitterly, and he begged God to forgive him. He he begged the Lord to forgive him, his master to forgive him. But you know what? He's gone now. What can I do? But he went back to what he knew. He went back to fishing. He knew the fishing business. And here it is in in John 21. Later, Jesus appeared to the, the disciples again beside the Sea of Galilee, This is how it happened. Several disciples were there with Simon uh, and Thomas and Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing that whole night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach and the disciples could see who he was and, and they couldn't see who he was and he called out to them, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and get some. So they did, and the hall were so many fish in the net. There were so many fish in the net, and the disciples that, that Jesus loved, that would be John. He loved all of them, but John was kind of his apple of his eye. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his tunic 
on for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to the shore. I want you to catch that. He jumped into the water and he decided to get to Jesus as quick as he could get to Jesus. You see, and if you find yourself in failure because it's inevitably coming, and that, that's where he found himself, the best thing to do is to just dive right in. I mean, you might be as bad as, he's went back, he's talking bad, he's fishing mostly naked. And when he sees Jesus and they, he finally realized who it is, he just dove into the boat and began to swim to him. He said, Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, and so he went and the other stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore. They were only about 100 yards from the shore, and when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Think about this. Fish was already cooking before they got the net of the 153 that they just caught. Just want you to see that. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went and dragged the net to the shore, and there's 153 large fish, and yet the net had not torn. This is another sign to Simon Peter because he's fished all night long. He's doing what he grew up on the Sea of Galilee to do. He's doing the business that he knows. And what the Lord was showing him was your ways and your thoughts are futile. And it is going to yield nothing for you. What have you got to go back to? I know you failed, but I'm here. And he called him. Peter coming out. Let me, let me show you this. It's real important that you catch this. So after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter. He says, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. <clears throat> you know I love you. He says, well, feed my lambs. Jesus told him. <clears throat> Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. <clears throat> A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus began to prophesy to him again. He says, I'll tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you like and you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hand and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by the kind of death in which he would glorify God. And then Jesus said, follow me. Here's what I want you to catch about this. <clears throat> because some of you, just like, just like Peter, served the Lord for a great period of time, fell into failure, allowed failure to be a dead end instead of a stepping stone. Maybe you feel like you failed too far, you went too, too, you know, too deep, too far that God cannot reach you. And maybe you just decided, I'm done with God. I'm going to go back and do whatever I've always done. Do what I know to do. God wants to use your failure. He don't want it to be a dead end. He wants it to be a stepping stone. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you learn. Let me say this. As long as we admit failure, address failure, deal with it, 
We can continue to climb and move on. And God will use those failures as stepping stones. But the moment we close ourselves into our shell and say, I failed. I ain't never going to try again. I'm never going to give another opportunity. I'm never, 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 never. That's as good as the devil wants. For the second time in Peter's life, he heard the words of Jesus in the same place on the Sea of Galilee as he said, follow me. And I doubt that after his colossal failure that he ever thought that he'd ever hear these words again from the lips of our Lord. But let me tell you this, the Lord is still surprising me. The links that he goes to continually to reach his people, even a wayward people. And for some here today, you've miserably failed the Lord. Some have failed your spouses, some your families, others your bosses. But the Lord stands here today offering to turn that failure into a stepping stone so that you can get back in the race so that you can climb higher let me say Peter used this failure as a stepping stone and what did God do here's what God did Uh, this, this failure that literally in Peter's mind ended it for him he went back Jesus came looking for him You know what Jesus said? Let me take you back to the tomb real quick. Jesus had just rose from the dead. uh, And and the women come to see the tomb and it was empty. And they, they saw the Lord. And, or they saw an angel. And he says to them, they said, he's risen, he's risen. And he realized it's him. And he says, I want you to go and tell my disciples. What's this? And Peter. There's two words. I want you to go tell my disciples I'm risen. And he called him by name to let him know that, listen, I know you failed me. And the last time that you saw me alive, you were lying that you did not know me. I told you it happened and you said it never happened. You would go to prison with me. You would die with me. But you lied. You failed me anyway. But I want you to know that I did what I did for not only the disciples, not only you and I, but and Peter. Tell him by name that I called him out. And guess what? Three days later, Jesus showed up on the same sea, decided to cook some fish for breakfast, and he looks out there and sees a fishing boat. He knows who it is. Same guy that he called off that sea three and a half years ago. And all of a sudden, they come aboard, and it is the Lord. They recognize him. Here's what what happened. Peter used this as a stepping stone. When Jesus come to him and said those words again, follow me, he did just that. And Jesus went on to use him. In fact, he would say, thou art Peter and upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter went on to become the pastor of the New Testament church there in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church pastor. He was the one on the day of Pentecost that rose up when everybody else was scared and they were, it was a kind of a mob saying they're drunk. They're beside themselves. They're crazy. He said, ye men of Galilee, let me tell you one thing. 
These men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what Joel prophesied in the last day, saith God. I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Are you with me? Say amen. We find here this apostle Peter that is not scared. He is not timid. He said this was not done in a corner. You crucified him open and publicly. And he is raised from that tree. He is raised from that grave. He lives. And the stone that the builders rejected is the chief of the corner. They said, well, who is this for? And he said, it's for you and your children and your children's children and as many as our Lord God shall call. That's as good as it gets. Said, it don't matter if you're fat, skinny, short, tall, white, black, red, yellow. He don't care. For as many as our Lord God shall call. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray this prayer that you and I would embrace failure. I'm not saying that we just love to fail. I'm not saying because of that stupidity. I mean, none of us set out, well, I hope I fail today. I mean, I don't want to do that. But it is an inevitable fact that you are going to drop the ball once in a while. You are going to miss it once in a while. I'm not giving you an excuse to live like hell. There's enough people doing that, calling themselves Christians, and the fruit just, let me, South Georgia lingo, just ain't there. And Jesus said, that's the only way you'll know a tree is by the fruit that it bears. Either you got it or you don't. Kind of like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. You're not a little bit pregnant. Either you are or you're not. So, God wants to take the failures in your life and turn that into stepping stones. And I want to pray for you right now that you and I would embrace whatever failure it is. I know it's hard to see the good that's going to come out of it. We look and say, I'm just a colossal failure. I'm just a total uh, mishap. I ain't never going to recover from this. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised what God will do. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you now for these people, those who are listening, Lord, online, those who are here in the building. And they're struggling right now. Some of them have made terrible mistakes, horrible failures. But I'm asking you, Lord, to help them to embrace that failure and say, yes, I did fail. I didn't intend to. I I didn't think I would, but I did. And I'm even ashamed of it, but I confess that failure. And I stand on my two feet and I say, God, if you will help me, this will not be a dead end for me, but it'll be a stepping stone. And I'll climb over this and I'll be stronger for it. Because your word says God uses all things. He works all things for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So I don't care how miserable that failure was. As long as you're open to repenting before God, asking God to deal with it and saying, Lord, help me. You can embrace that failure in the name of Jesus. So Father, help me to embrace failure. I I mean, I I don't love failure. Nobody wants to fail, but in that situation, when we do, 
I pray, God, that you would give us the strength to wrap our arms around that failure and say, I'm going, sometimes I, I, I win and sometimes I learn and I'm going to learn from this one. I'm going to learn from it so I don't have to go down this road again. In Jesus' name, amen.